Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Well, good evening. This night we're going to start First Kings. Tonight we're going to start First Kings chapter 1. And last time as we finished up in Second Samuel, we looked at the census that David took and the accompanying judgment. Tonight we're going to jump into First Kings. And what I always do when we start a new book is do a background. You know, I give you the, the setting, the time, all these type of parameters, who wrote it, just so you could get really a, a setting of what you're going to jump into. And then we're going to talk in the first chapter about the coup against Solomon, who was to be the next king after David. So the background of 1 Kings, well, this spans kings, King David's last days to King Solomon's reign, and sadly Israel after that as is a divided nation. Uh, Chronicles is closely associated with kings, and that goes from the united Israel to focusing on Judah from the priestly point of view. And Kings was authored most likely by the prophet Jeremiah. Most sources point to him. Uh, poor Jer Jeremiah didn't have a glamorous ministry. You know, sometimes you look on the internet or you look on Christian TV and you think that every ministry is supposed to be glamorous. Not so with Jeremiah. They called him the weeping prophet. He got to see a lot of sadness happen among God's people. As King David seemed to live a life of mostly humility, and I say mostly, um, and I say that because for a man who had so much at his fingertips, he was autonomous when he made decisions as the king. Uh, you can really see a humility in his life. Again, he had his moments. However, Solomon, his son, seemed to be negatively influenced by pride and power. Remember, he had, he had everything handed to him. And, you know, you, you kind of see that today. Somebody who works... Or even when we work for something, it, it has more value than just getting stuff and people throwing things out at you. It, it kind of shows a, you know, sometimes it, it doesn't develop the character when that happens. But the message on the ag aggregate level is how a mighty nation starts to fall when it rejects the living God. Now, a lot of us can, rightly so, look at our country and make an application to it. Um, we could also look at Germany in the 1900s. You know, I find Germans to be fascinating and brilliant people. I don't have an ounce of German in me, but you know, they were the, the leading scientists in the, in the early 1900s. But with all that intelligence, following the Nazi regime, uh, departing from God, almost cost them to have the German people wiped out in 1945. So you know, we can be really smart, but be foolish when it comes to spiritual things. On a personal level, we can also see how pride is destructive. You know, Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before the fall. So let's jump in, shall we? There's many verses here. Uh, there's 53 verses, but we're going to go through them quite, quite quickly, and um, you know, we'll see what happens. Starting with verse 1, it says, Now King David was old, advanced in years, and they put covers on him, but he could not get warm. Therefore his servants said to him, Let a young woman, a virgin, be sought for our Lord the King. And let her stand before the king, and let her care for him, and let her lie in your bosom, that our lord the king may be warm. So they sought for a lovely young woman throughout all the territory of Israel, and found Abishag the Shunammite. 
and brought her to the king. And the young woman was very lovely, and she cared for the king and served him, but the king did not know her. Now that means in Bible talk they didn't have any sexual relations. So you, you might say to yourself, well, why'd they select a young virgin? Well, because that's not what they wanted for David, and they didn't want her to have that experience to desire that from the king. It was strictly for her to care for him and to keep him warm. Now, in the winter, um, where I live, it gets pretty cold, too. Sometimes my wife and I have trouble keeping warm, so we have two medium-sized female pit bulls to throw off a lot of heat in the bed. So, <laughs> you know, you're just saying, you've got to do what you've got to do. All right? It's probably why, actually, if you read the scripture in those times, sometimes they actually slept with their pets, and probably for that very reason to keep warm. But you see this, this stage being set for David's, you know, deterioration. It happens to the best of us, right? We all are subject to the aging process. Verse 5. Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. Sound familiar? Remember Absalom? And that was his brother. Now here's a parenthetical statement in 6. It says, And his father had not rebuked him at any time, saying, Why have you done so? He also was a very good-looking man. His mother had borne him after Absalom. Then he conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and with Abiathar, the priest, and they followed and helped Adonijah. But Zadok the priest, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet, Shimei, Ray, and the mighty men who belonged to David were not with Adonijah. And Adonijah sacrificed sheep and oxen and fattened cattle by the stone, by the stone of Zoholeth, which is by Enrogel. He also invited all his brothers, the king's son, and all the men of Judah, the king's servants. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, Benaiah, the mighty men, or Solomon, his brother. And that's key. So we have yet another rebellion in the kingdom from another of David's sons, from his own family. Now remember, this Adonijah, Absalom was his older brother. And they were from the same mother. And a lot of things, things are said about them. But you can see that they, they have the same selfish and rebellious spirit. It said both of the boys were good looking. Why does that matter? Why would it be put in the scripture? Well, because nothing's changed in the last few thousand years. What it shows is that these guys had a charisma. They had good looks, they had a charisma, and they probably had an easier job of having people flock around them. And you know what? It's no different today. I think our nation is in decline partially because we're choosing our leaders more by charisma than character. And if we don't start as a nation moving away from charisma and start to move towards character, the handwriting is on the wall, so to speak. A few quick points. Number one, Adonijah didn't learn from his brother Absalom's mistakes. Remember, Absalom was killed. And strangely, Adonijah picks Joab, and Joab was the general who actually killed his brother. Uh, number two is that this is also a result of the sin of multiplying wives. Deuteronomy 17.17. 17. We're only supposed to be one man and one woman. But a lot of these guys, you know, it's funny, the Bible records facts. It doesn't mean that it's glamorous. It doesn't mean that it's good. It, it records people's frailties. These guys took multiple wives, and God never said to do that. Right? But it, 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 they just did this. Right? This was what they did culturally. Now in verse 6, again, this is a parenthetical statement. We see David's failure, King David's failure to discipline his kids, and it's no different with Adonijah. 
And this is important because maybe as Christians, we don't have the ramifications that would happen in a monarchy. But I mean, I, I remember talking to a particular Christian family and their little boy, and she said, I don't even say no to him. And I'm like, you know what? Check with me in 15 years. Let me know how that's working out for you. You know what I'm saying? But the Bible is very clear. Discipline is important. We need to discipline our kids. I want to make a few more points before getting into the meat of the story. One thing that we see here is that this rebellion causes schisms, divisions, always take place when there's a rebellion. Usually uh, in, in the scripture that we re read, it was down the line of the anointed, those that followed the anointed and those that followed the unanointed, and you can see that here as well. But you know what? We can see that in our lives too. Maybe with the company we keep, maybe in churches that uh, this happens. When there's a rebellious spirit, it brings on division. And those whose hearts are not right will naturally be inclined towards division, maybe wittingly or maybe unwittingly. Verse 8. Adonijah did not invite those loyal to God's plan to his little coronation party. Would you be invited? Would I be invited? You might say, what the heck are you talking about? Follow the logic for a moment. Are we the type of Christian that's invited to all the social events of all the gossips and the troublemakers and the carnality? Are we? It says a lot about our character. Or are we the type of Christian that's purposely left out of these events and what it shows is that we lead an honorable lifestyle? You know, nobody wants to be lonely. I don't want to be lonely. But the truth is, sometimes it's actually good, better to be alone and keep your dignity and keep your testimony than to hang out with people just because we don't want to be lonely. So sometimes loneliness or being left out is actually a good thing. Consider the source. Verse 9, Adonijah sacrificed all those animals. Right? We read that in verse 9. So what did he do? He put his religious stamp of approval on what he was doing. People do that today too. You know, There's some things that God absolutely hates. He says it right in the scripture. You look at a ministry, you look at a denomination, and they're doing things that God detests. Especially, I was just talking with a brother who's new to our fellowship about coming to church, and they're always taking multiple, everything's about money. You know, and that's only one of many things. Okay, But what does he do? He just puts his religious stamp of approval on what he did. And that did not make it right. Now, Adonijah was David's oldest living son left, but Solomon was the son of the promise of the, of the continuing kingdom. We've heard these themes before, right? In Genesis, Isaac and Ishmael. Ishmael was older, but Isaac was the son of the promise. Adonijah was older, but Solomon was the son of the promise. That was who the kingdom was to be given to. And you can see this in the flesh versus the spirit. It's the way we do things as people versus the way God thinks. God does things. And, and you can see that in the way the world works. You can see that in the way the church works, right? The flesh versus the spirit. Proverbs 14.12 says this, There is a way that seems right to a man, but it ends in death. Some, some uh, translations say destruction. I want to read uh, just a quick verse. <laughs> Sometimes I'll read something and be like, Oh, he put his finger on what I was thinking. So instead of stealing the material, I like to give these guys credit. So Warren Wearsby, in his book, Be Responsible, on the subject, says this. It's under Adonijah the Opportunist. 
A real leader looks at a crisis and asks, what can I do that will best help the people? An opportunist looks at a crisis and asks, how can I use this situation to promote myself and get what I want? Opportunists usually show up uninvited, focus attention on themselves, and end up making this, 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 the crisis worse. Adonijah was that type of person. And I think what, there's so many themes here, but what bleeds over as we really start to go through this is leadership. And I think by the end of the message, if you're interested in leadership, something to pray about, we'll see things that we shouldn't be doing as leaders. That's not becoming of us, right, as leaders. And things that we should be doing as leaders. Now, we can say the same thing about Joab that we, we said about Adonijah. It's all about Joab. We've been dealing with Joab for a long time as we go through the scriptures. David's been wearing with him. And basically... When you don't deal with cancerous situations, they metastasize. And Joab metastasized. Right? Now he's, he's threatening to bring down the kingdom by switching sides from the anointed to the unanointed. And Joab, and we know how the story ends, but imagine a snapshot of time. You're seeing this unfold and you're getting a little concerned. Remember, Joab knew how to kill people. He knew how to get things done. He knew how to win wars. And he was technically on the side of the anointed. But Joab did everything for himself. One of these days I'm going to do a message that's called Joab versus Jonathan. But um, it's definitely worth looking at, right? He had a bad heart as a leader, and it showed. What about Abiathar, the priest? He should have known better, right? He was a spiritual man. Now this gets, for those of you have, who, who probably, some of you will probably ask me when I'm done, so I, I covered it. What about it looked like Abiathar and Zadok were both officiating as a high priest? Didn't the Bible say that there's only one high priest? The answer is yes. Um, David did this thing. It's, you know, there's a lot of speculation of what actually happened. One might have been a, a, co, a co-regent or a deputy uh, high priest. Uh, one might have had more rank than the other, supposedly. But what happened is you've got these two guys that are technically in the position of high priest, and there's a division possibly a jealousy issue that caused one to go with David and the other one to go with Adonijah, right? Jealousy can be very, very difficult in ministry. It can teach some hard lessons. Verse 11, So Nathan spoke to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king, and David our Lord does not know it? Come, please, let me now give you counsel that you may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. Go immediately to King David and say to him, Did you not, my lord, O king, swear to your maidservant, saying, Assuredly your son Solomon shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. Why then has Adonijah become king? Then while you're still talking there with the king, I will also come in after you and confirm your words. So Nathan the prophet goes to Bathsheba to try to save this horrible situation from unraveling. Now, God's will is always going to be done, but sometimes he's looking for somebody to stand up. You know, this was wrong. This was bad. And maybe some of the onlookers, maybe some were afraid. They were sheepish. But if, imagine if nobody stood up, how, how terrible this could have turned out. Right? For such a time as this, Esther. Uh, because there's going to be times that we're called to stand up and say, no, this, this can't continue. It's wrong against all odds. And I go back to the parenthetical statement of verse 6 where it says that David didn't tell him, I'm paraphrasing, knock it off. What do you think you're doing? You know, this isn't for you. 
He didn't. He didn't so much as say a word to his son, the Bible says, and, and this becomes a, a Goliath. It becomes a behemoth. It becomes a problem. Right? Somebody's got to speak up. It certainly should have been his father. Verse 12, Nathan knew once Adonijah was in power that he would execute all those that were a threat to him. This was common in monarchies. You can see it today. You can, you can see it in dictatorships. The one guy gets in and they're, they're in competition the guy who gets in now has the power of the military. Guess what? The other guy's losing. He's either going to prison or they're killing him and all of his family. So Bathsheba is warned about this. Now, here's a little background. Bathsheba and David, way back when, uh, David committed adultery, and that child ended up dying. The second child that they had when they were married, okay, or actually the first child after they were married was Solomon. And Solomon actually means peace or, or cognate of that and he was the son of the promise. Could it be that Adonijah thought, and I'm going to say this, like many Christians today, Adonijah looked at the situation and go, oh, my father was with that woman. And there's always in his mind going to be a stain on that, that situation, maybe a little self-righteous. Sometimes people in the church do that. They'll look at somebody and they have a past, and they never let them get out of that past. It's a horrible thing. It's a bondage that people put each other into. However, I look at it this way. Somebody has a horrible past. They ask for forgiveness. They repent. And God uses them mightily. Boy, all glory to the Lord. That's a powerful thing to repent and be restored and for God to use that person and even for them to take the, the, the poison out of it by using it as a testimony. Right? Turn it back around on the devil, so to speak. But let's look at Nathan now. He was a, a well-balanced man. Remember when he w opposed the king to his face and said, you've sinned, you are the man, at peril to his own life. However, now he takes David's side and he's loyal. The common denominator with Nathan is he was, from what we read in the scripture, was on the side of the person who God was on the side of. Now let's make this personal again. Let's make it personal. Right? Thousands of years later, the only holy book, the living word, that we can make applications over and over again. It doesn't matter when it took place because the Holy Spirit inspired this book. That's the power of it. So here's, the, here's an easy one. I'm going to throw you a softball first, and then I'm going to hit you with a curveball. The first one is, do we have the courage to stand with our friends when God is with them, but nobody else is? Probably Yes. Do we also have the courage to stand against our friends when everyone is with them but God's not? Oh, that's when sometimes it bites. Sometimes that's a little harder. Right? I think Nathan was the type of person that could have done, he shows that he could do both. Now, again, some may look at the situation, being in the midst of it, and panic. Well, I thought, and we do this today, right? Um, God sees time all at once. We see time linearly. So you see something unfolding and you go, oh no, start to panic. Oh, that's not the way God would want it. It's just a snapshot of time. Yes, at this very moment, Adonijah had the power. He had the priest. He had the military. He had everything. And Solomon was going to lose, but it was only a snapshot of time. Right? Remember, I, I even talked about that Sunday with, with the, a few Sundays ago, the rich young ruler. Did he get saved? Hopefully, probably, but at that moment of time, he walked away from the Lord. Again, it's just a snapshot of time. Verse 15. So Bathsheba went into the chamber to the king. Now the king was very old, and Abishag the Shunammite was serving the king. And Bathsheba bowed and did homage to the king. And then the king said, what is your wish? 
Then she said to him, My Lord, you swore by the Lord your God to your maidservant, saying, Assuredly, Solomon your son shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. So now, look, Adonijah has become king, and now, my lord the king, you do not know about it. He has sacrificed oxen and fattened cattle and sheep in abundance, and has invited all the sons of the king, Abiathar the priest, and Joab the commander of the army. But Solomon, your servant, he has not invited. And as for you, my lord, O king, the eyes of all Israel are on you, that you should tell them who will sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise it will happen when my lord the king rests with his fathers that I and my son Solomon will be counted as offenders. That's a nice way to put it. They will be killed. That certainly, if things didn't go the way it actually went, would be the, the reality. Verse 22. And just then while she was still talking with the king, Nathan the prophet also came in. So they told the king saying, here is Nathan the prophet. And when he came in before the king, he bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. And Nathan said, My lord, O king, have you said Adonijah shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? For he has gone down today and has sacrificed oxen and fattened cattle and sheep in abundance and has invited all the king's sons and the commanders of the army and Abiathar the priest. And look, they are eating and drinking before him and they say, Long live King Adonijah. But he has not invited me even me, your servant, nor Zadok the priest, nor Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, nor your servant Solomon. Has this thing been done by my lord the king, and you have not told your servant who should sit on the throne of my lord the king after him? So Nathan the prophet comes in, and he reiterates what Bathsheba says. Then the king David answered and said, Call Bathsheba to me. So she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king took an oath and said, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from every distress, just as I swore to you by the Lord God of Israel, saying, Assuredly, Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place, so I certainly will do this day. Then Bathsheba bowed her face to the earth and did homage to the king and said, Let my Lord King David live forever. So King David reiterates a promise, and this is found in 1 Chronicles 28.6, kind of in a roundabout way, where David wants to build a temple, and uh, God tells him that, no, your son Solomon, 1 Chronicles 28.6, not only will he build a temple, but he'll also have the kingdom. All right? So that's 1 Chronicles 28.6. Sometimes it takes another person to point out the disastrous situation that we're not seeing. Several months ago, a woman came into my office and and revealed to me something that the Holy Spirit already showed me, but I had no proof. And she actually talked to me, and she said, now what are you going to do about it? And I said, well, you came in, and you told me something that the Holy Spirit already revealed to me, but you confirmed it with your own eyes. I'm going to do something today. So it was kind of cool. Sometimes it takes another person to point something out that you haven't seen, right? Or maybe God is kind of what I talked about Sunday, incremental revelation. He's revealing it to you. And then another person comes in and completely confirms it, um, autonomous of any, any knowledge on the earth, right? So it's pretty actually fascinating when you, you really trust God and, and you also trust him to work through other people that have, have gifts as well. Verse 32. And King David said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. So they came before the king. This is where the music starts to get exciting, 
right? His word, the tempo is, you know, the crescendo. And if this was an action movie, and David now, even though he's old, he gets up. He's got a fire in his belly. He's rallying the troops. And he's got, I've got to put a stop to this. So here's a guy who, in the beginning, couldn't keep warm, who was advanced in age. His health was deteriorating, but now it's all the spirit. He's just going, and this is his last hurrah, so to speak. Then the king also said to them, Take with you the servants of your Lord, and have Solomon my son ride on my own mule, and take him down to Gihon. There let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel, and blow the horn and say, Long live King Solomon. Then you shall come up after him, and he shall come and sit on my throne, and he shall be king in my place. For I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and Judah. And Benaiah the son of Jehoiada answered the king and said, Amen. May the Lord God of my Lord the king say so too. This is real leadership. This isn't the the diddling, fumbling stuff that we see, not only in our country, but sometimes in the church. We need people to, to, to take a stand. You know, it's funny. David was old, but his mind and his spirit was still sharp. Okay? He knew exactly what to do. This stuff was, was thrown in his lap. He didn't have a chance to plan. But I'm sure he said a quick prayer and said, Lord, help me with this. And he went into, he rolled into action. That is real leadership. Not the kind of stuff that we see today. This is, our country is, is a ship without a rudder. It's just aimlessly wandering and meandering about with the waves of the storm. As the Lord, I'm just getting excited, you know, I just can't, I, this is it, man, this is, this is good stuff. As the Lord has been with my Lord, the King, even so, may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne, my Lord, King David. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, the Cherethites and the Pelethites went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule and took him to Gihon. Then Zadok the priest took a horn of oil from the tabernacle and anointed Solomon And they blew the horn, and all the people said, Long live King Solomon. And all the people went up after him, and the people played the flutes and rejoiced with great joy, so that the earth seemed to split with their sound. So the plan works. All these things signify the coronation or the inauguration of the new king. right? The sitting on of the king's mule. Now we're going (laughs) to... I love it when I go into the Old Testament randomly we end up here and it matches with what i'm going to say on the new testament on sunday so sitting on the king's mule right that was a sign of the king well remember jesus as we're going to cover on sunday with the triumphal entry right he sits on a donkey that no one has ever ridden before okay and we're going to talk about the difference between a war horse and a donkey and the different roles of the king um the blowing of the horn the processional right the triumphal entry in the new testament jesus is a big processional uh, to, to, and I'm going to talk about the difference between the Roman triumph and the triumph of our Lord Jesus Christ. Really neat parallels there too. It's going to be a lot of fun. He was anointed with oil and the Cherethites and the Pelethites were the king's special forces. They were the king's bodyguard. It must have been impressive. It's almost as if uh, you know, we have a new leader and we're excited for our new leader and you see all these you know, green berets and, and, and special forces and delta force and they're just flanking the new leader as a show of force. Very exciting for the people. They were so excited about this new leader because they knew it was from God that it had seemed like the earth was splitting by the sounds of their shouts. Pretty exciting stuff. I don't know about you, but, you know. Verse 41. So Adonijah and all the guests who were with him heard it as they finished eating. Can you say Ajita? (laughs) And when Joab heard the sound of the horn, he said, 
Why is the city in such a noisy uproar? While he was still speaking, there came Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, the priest. And Adonijah said to him, Come in, for you are a prominent man, and bring good tidings. Then Jonathan answered and said to Adonijah, No, our lord King David has made Solomon king. The king has sent with him Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and they have made him ride on the king's mule. So Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him at Gihon, and they have gone up from there rejoicing, so that the city is in an uproar. This is the noise that you have heard. Also Solomon sits on the throne of the kingdom. And moreover, the king's servants have gone to bless our lord the king, David, saying, May God make the name of Solomon better than your name, and may he make his throne greater than your throne. Then the king bowed himself on his bed. Also the king said thus, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who has given one to sit on my throne this day while my eyes see it. Then all the guests who were with Adonijah were afraid and arose, and each one went his way. So Adonijah now gets bad news. David did a little bit of an end run. And uh, guess what? Solomon's the king, and your little gathering is not going to be fruitful. And everybody takes off. I think it's kind of funny. They're fair-weather friends, you know. They were all on his side, and now they're panicking. Oh, I don't want to be seen with Adonijah. Everybody beats feet, and they, and they go in different ways. They were just riding high about a half an hour ago. Verse 50. Now Adonijah was afraid of Solomon, so he arose and went and took hold of the horns of the altar. And it was told Solomon, saying, Indeed, Adonijah is afraid of King Solomon, for look, he has taken hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear to me today that he will not put his servant to death with the sword. Then Solomon said, If he proves himself a worthy man, not one hair of him shall fall to the earth, but if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. So King Solomon sent them to bring him down from the altar, and he came and fell down before King Solomon, and Solomon said to him, Go to your house. So Adonijah is panicking. You know, he's, he's a wanted man. He knows it. So he runs towards the temple and he takes hold of the place where the sacrifices are offered. And on this um, uh, contraption that, that's used for that, there's these uh, four horns at each corner. And they're not real horns, but they're horn-like projections. And he grabs a hold of the horns and almost to... When you, maybe when you go to spank your kids, they, um, they hold on to something <laughs> and maybe hold on to the sink because you, you can't spank them because it's inconvenient and you've got to get them off the sink. So kind of, you know, this is what uh, Adonijah is doing. He's holding on to those horns for dear life. But there was also a, um, in Exodus 21, you could almost take asylum and run to the temple and hang out there in the house of God until somebody cools down to determine your guilt or your innocence. So there was a precedent here, and Adonijah uh, takes that. And Adonijah basically says to Solomon, he, he respects him, or he says he respects him, gives him lip service. Uh, so Solomon could have had him killed, but what he did was he put him pretty much on house arrest with stipulations. And we'll find out in the next chapter that that didn't last long. Once a rebel, always a rebel, unless you're really repentant. So... There's bloodshed. We're going to find out there's bloodshed. However, if action wasn't taken, there would have been even more bloodshed. Remember when David left Jerusalem and, and um, Absalom took over and, and the people that he killed and, and the Israel was fighting Israel? What a terrible thing. 
And that's the sad thing in this world. Sometimes, unfortunately, in the, in the world that we live in, force has to be used uh, because if, it's like for only, the only thing for evil to prevail is for good men to do m n uh, nothing, which is that famous uh, saying. Uh, and that's because the world we live in is, is unfortunately racked with sin. And then Romans 13 comes into effect with God ordaining some type of structure in society. And we're seeing that also being rebelled against. So the first thing that we look at in, in really poor leadership is, number one, a rebellious and a stubborn heart. So I'm going to read one of my favorite verses again. 1 Samuel 15, 22. And there was a, there was a, a contextual issue with Saul, but let's understand that there's also a broader understanding for everybody. Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams for rebellion. Everybody wants to be a rebel today. It's, it's actually in fashion. It's cool. And even some in the church, okay? But this is what the scripture says. The re for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft or divination and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. And he says, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. This was the type of leader that Saul was, but we see that today. So number one, rebellious and a stubborn heart. Number two, well, the issue of disciplining children was an issue. Um, and that was, that's very made clear right in the beginning of the scripture. Uh, and I'd say again, for a monarchical setting, uh, it's a lot worse. I think of the guy, uh, King, Kim Jong-il died in North Korea, and then he, this dictator, everything was left to King, Kim Jong-un, his son. And this guy is a young, brash, um, ignorant. Um, I think that he's insecure because he has to let the world know, look, I'm here, let me throw up some rockets. Although he's playing with nuclear weapons, an incredible army, and he could start a war in Korea. So, you know, this is somebody who pretty much was handed everything, never had to work for anything in his life. And this is, the re this is what the whole, the whole world is now is dealing with this person because they have such a, an arsenal at their disposal. Scary. Uh, so three, pr uh, prideful heartedness of a self-proclaimed leader. And, you know, you might meet somebody who always has to tell you that they're a leader. They always have to tell you that they have a, a tag that says they're somebody that they have to point to it. Maybe even someone at work, they have to point to their rank or the fact that they have authority over you. Um, and they always have to do it because their leadership skills are lacking. So, you know, and, and I hear it. I hear it sometimes in the church and I say that aggregately. Somebody who comes in, I'm a leader, and they're bragging about their abilities, about their achievements. They're always dropping names. I know this person. I know that person. I teach this. I, I never have to do that. Some people don't even know I'm the pastor. I just, when they walk in, I just say, hi, I'm Joe, and I shake their hands. You know what I'm saying? I don't know why that's necessary. Um, people who are loud and obnoxious about it, and it's a shame. I would say this, that when you hear someone do that, just walk away from them, because they're really looking for an audience. That's the best way to deal with somebody like that. Uh, so wrapping this up, this message goes entirely hand-in-hand hand with uh, the character portrait of Absalom, and I covered that in 2 Samuel 15. And that lesson was called Seven Marks of a False Leader. You see a lot of um, similarities with Absalom and Adonijah. So here's the question, and then we'll close it. How do I become a good leader? You know, I'm interested in leadership. That's a good thing. 
Number one, first thing we should do for anything is pray and seek the Lord's guidance. That's absolutely non-negotiable, number one. Number two is to stay close to his word and learn it. You know, and so many pulpits are departing from the word of God. A gentleman who's new to this fellowship, you know, was just so excited about, about the church and, and the messages and like, God makes me look good. His word is awesome. It isn't me. I'm reading good material. If I read bad material, I'll probably look bad. So you've got to give God all the glory. So two, stay close to his word and learn it. Number three, be humble. Be humble. God hates pride. And he's not going to allow the pride. Eventually they're going to fall. And four, do the opposite of what you see Adonijah and Absalom do. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word, and we go back actually over, a little over 3,000 years ago to some ancient book that you wrote, that your Holy Spirit inspired, and I'm speaking as if I'm doing a training session on today's leadership, because your word is relevant. We don't have to try to make it relevant. We don't have to try to use gimmicks and fancy stuff and light shows. All we have to do is read your word. And, and talk about it and do exegesis. So I just pray, Father, that as we leave this place tonight, that we would take what's said here to heart and try to use it to apply it to our lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.